Well, thank you all. Thanks for that. Looking forward to finding out what's in the bag and and just uh, you know more than any gift, what means the most is just to hear the ways in which God has been working in your life and how uh, we as a church and me as a pastor have been able to be part of that. It's a real honor to be able to walk with you all in that kind of way. So thank you. Well, Bill said, you know, he's glad we're coming to Ecclesiastes, and I'll admit, so am I. It's not an easy book. It can feel very heavy at times, and if we don't read it well, if we don't read it properly, it can feel like a burden. It can feel like a weight rather than actually something that allows us to see where hope really is found. Because when everything is kind of burned to the ground and the ash is removed, you start to see what's left. And a lot of times in our lives, if we were to burn it all down, there wouldn't be a lot that really stands. But what really matters remains. What we love, what we carry with us, what we remember. And those are the things that Ecclesiastes says are most important. It's not the things of this world. It's not the things that are fleeting. It's the things that are eternal that we should be holding on to. It's so easy to be distracted by all these other things because in our world we hunger, we thirst, we need, we feel. But it's the other things that are eternal that if we direct our attention to those things, if we direct our attention to the eternal God, that's where life is found. So when Ecclesiastes begins, I told you that it's, it's probably most helpful for us to think of it like a play, where it begins where someone comes out, we'll call them the narrator, and the narrator says, here we are, the show is about to begin. Please silence your cell phones. And as it starts, the light comes up, the spotlight on Solomon and his thinking man pose, and you know what he says as he starts, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And as he walks around the stage and he goes through the play, he's talking about all these different aspects of life, all these different things that we lean into and look for hope in, that we try to find life in, and he one by one dismantles them to say, it's empty on the inside if you don't pursue it in the right way. If this is your primary end, if this is your ultimate goal, you're going to find out it's hollow. It's air. It's vapor. It's meaningless. And we could be feeling discouraged about that, but all throughout he's pointing us again and again to the fact that there is hope. There is meaning. There is life. But it's not found in the things of this world. It's found in the eternal God and God alone. And God fills all those empty things with meaning when we trust in him. When we look to him for purpose and meaning rather than these things. And it's been hard to hear. It sound, sounds at times like he's grumpy. It sounds like he's kind of depressed. It sounds like he's just carrying a heavy weight. But I think what it is is he's carried the burden of understanding the world as it really is. And he's recognized how much time he's wasted, how much life he's lost by investing in the wrong things, by building a foundation on something that can't stand. And he wants us to know, all of us, to know where life is really found. Now, throughout, it doesn't call him Solomon. It's sort of implied that it's the character of Solomon that we're hearing all of this spoken through, the king who is known as the wisest king in all of the world. Instead, what he's called through Ecclesiastes is the teacher. And so Ecclesiastes, Ecclesia, that's the, the assembly that's gathered. So you can almost picture this like a high school assembly. Do you remember those when you were in high school? 
a special guest comes in and does a one-act, one-person play, and when he comes to the end, he ends the same way that he starts. He's thinking about it all. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And when the spotlight goes down, up comes the narrator again to make sure we don't walk away with the wrong message. And as Ecclesiastes closes, it doesn't close with the main character's voice. It closes with the narrator, making sure we understand. Let's go to the very end now of Ecclesiastes. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Spotlight down, scene end. What a way to end the show. Then there's the post-credits scene that comes up, like in a Marvel movie. Out comes the narrator. Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise, and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. What he's reminding us is that what we've heard is well-considered. It's not just a guy having a bad day. It's not just someone that feels depressed and burdened by the world. It's someone who's seen it clearly for what it is. And he's chosen his words thoughtfully and carefully. They aren't just lashing out of his anger or bitterness. And then he says this as he continues. Next slide. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless, and much study wears you out. Now the students in the room and the students in the assembly hall love hearing that, right? But what they're being reminded of here is that the words they've heard might be painful. They might seem like a burden. They might seem stark and cold. But they're painful in order to be helpful. You ever had a moment like that? Maybe you had a splinter in your finger and your mom or somebody is trying to dig it out for you and it's just so painful and you're screaming, screaming, screaming and the pain is there to bring the healing. Or you're setting a bone back in place or something like of this nature. You have to endure the pain in order to know what's best and what's good to find the light. What he says is, All these hard things, all these hard lessons that you've been hearing about, the whole point of them is to drive you into action, to get you moving in the right direction, to keep you on the narrow path to life. The whole point of all this hard message, this cold truth, is that you'd know reality and that you would live well, that you wouldn't be misguided, that you wouldn't be lost that you wouldn't be driven by your own internal desires that will lead you astray. It might be painful. That's how the teacher is teaching you, guiding you, directing you, leading you in the way of life. And then a reminder. There comes a time where you've got to put the books down. You've got to stop writing. You've got to stop reading. You've got to stop studying. You've got to start doing. There's some lessons you can only learn by starting to put it into practice. You've heard the lessons. You've heard the best teaching. 
You've heard the teacher spend all his time investing in all these wise sayings and now pouring them out for you and for your benefit. Now, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to get on the path and follow? Or are you just going to sit there like a lump, stewing in the cold and bitterness, frustrated, blind? All this truth, as painful as it is, is meant to be helpful. It's meant to push us forward, to make us move, to give us into action. Next slide. Did I skip a slide? So this is the point. Wisdom requires action. Wisdom requires action. Wisdom, we've said before, is skill for living. Well, if you don't put that skill into practice, it ain't no good. Wisdom is only worthwhile if you put it into use. What's the point of having a skill that you don't use? How does that benefit you? Wisdom is skill for living. It requires action. Let's go on. And then the narrator finishes the whole book. This is the very ending. I know you're happy we've reached it finally. That's the whole story, he says. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. What are we left with after everything is taken apart and dismantled? What are we left after it all burns down? That we should fear God and obey his commands. That the primary thing we should focus on in our lives is a relationship with God in awe and wonder where we then do what he says. We live according to his word, his will, his way. That's what we're left with. That's the only thing that remains. And then this reminder. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. In other words, again, action matters. What you do with this knowledge, what you do with this wisdom matters. And we might start to say, well, that feels... That doesn't feel like the gospel. That doesn't feel like Jesus. Like We're going to be evaluated based on what we do. I thought we were evaluated by faith alone. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved by faith alone. How do we know what faith is? We can only see it by our actions. How do we evaluate whether someone believes something? We look at what they do. I've often referred to a story I once heard uh, of someone was trying to translate the Bible into another language. There was no word for faith or belief. The, the closest they could come up with was uh, the idea of when you go and sit on a chair, the willingness to put your weight down means that you have faith or believe in that chair. If you will put your weight down on this thing, if you will make it be your foundation upon which you stand, if you live according to God's way, if you follow God's way, that shows you have trust, you have faith, you believe. Your actions reveal your character. Your actions reveal your heart and who you are and what you do and is a reflection of what you believe, what you truly believe. So God will look at the things we do to see how they reflect what's on the inside of us. God will see whether or not we've actually trusted him. And God will know everything that we've thought, felt, done. He knows the secret things. 
that even we don't know about ourselves. So what do we do at the end of it all? Fear God. Fear God and obey his commands. That's all we're left with. Now, it can feel heavy. It can feel weighty. But it's good that we think about these things. It's good that we step back from even the good times and say, what is my life really? Where is it really headed? What's the end of the game I'm playing? Is this going where I think it's going? Am I really standing where I think I'm standing? Am I really believing what I say I'm believing? Well, I want to take you now to uh, James. I'm going to spend a, a few verses here in James. James is reflecting on wisdom and life as well. James is the brother of Jesus. And I often say, uh, I don't think my brother would ever believe that I was the Messiah. So for, G for James to believe that Jesus was who Jesus said he was says something pretty strong and serious for us. But then James says this in chapter 2. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? You're seeing the connection already, I hope. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if it doesn't change the way you live, it doesn't matter. You could have the best consultant in the world give you his best expertise, all his wise advice, and you could get a 100-page document back. And if you don't do anything about it, it's worthless. It was a waste of time. You could go to counseling for hours on end and listen to all the things that you should do, know all the right moves, know all the things you should do to be healthy. And if you don't do any of that, what was the point? Solomon has been spurring us on with his cattle prod. He's been saying, get moving, get do, get do something about what I'm telling you. This requires action. Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. In another spot, James says this. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. God blesses us when we act on what he's said. God blesses us when we follow what he teaches. God blesses us when we take action based on what he's told us to do. If we don't, what's the point? What's the point of hearing all my good sermons and my wise teaching? What's the point of sitting here Sunday after Sunday? What's the point of me taking 20 minutes to prepare a sermon? What's That was a joke. <laughs> What's the point if we don't do anything differently at the end of the day? We're wasting our time. We're just making ourselves feel good so we can pat ourselves on the back. I'm not here for that. We don't do something about what God tells us. If we don't, if we don't just if we only listen to God's word, we don't do what it says, 
It's dead. It's useless. It's pointless. It's not giving us any life. Again, James speaks in another verse. Look here. You who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town. We'll stay there a year. We'll do business there. Make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. Can you hear Ecclesiastes echoing through that? It's like a vapor. It's like air. Hevel. Meaningless. Your life is like air. Morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. The teacher has been teaching. He's been instructing. He's been sharing his lifetime of wisdom. Hard won. Yes, it's weighty. Yes, it's painful to hear. Yes, it can feel like it's not good news, but you have to know the bad news before you can hear the good news. And the bad news is that the world is empty and it's air and your life is like vapor and it's like a fog that will disappear. But the good news is you can find an eternal life that will last forever, that will be full of hope, that will be full of meaning when it's rested in the right place. And that right place is the heart of Jesus, the hand of God. If you're looking into the wrong things, it will just come and go and disappear and nothing will remain. If you hold on, hold on to the eternal. It's not a morning fog anymore. Remember, it's sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Okay, well, let's talk about Jesus now. Jesus comes and he says this at one point as he's arguing with some religious teachers, the people that should know better, the people who have got all kinds of religious knowledge, the people that have never missed a Sunday school class in their life, that have gone to church every Sunday even when they were sick. They're the kind of people that served and did all kinds of things, and they were on every church committee. They always gave in the offering plate. They did the whole deal. They never really got it. And they keep fighting with Jesus. They keep sort of challenging his authority. They keep sort of saying, what do you know? I think we know better than you. Jesus says to them at one point, someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. We've heard from Solomon. Will you listen to Solomon? Will you listen to one who is even greater than Solomon? Will you listen to Jesus? And what does Jesus say? Well, Matthew 6, 25, we began this series of Ecclesiastes saying, Jesus' words and reflection of Ecclesiastes is found probably most clearly in chapter 6 of Matthew. And Jesus is saying, don't focus on the things of this world that are kind of meaningless and empty and in the end really aren't what you really need. So Jesus says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. So I tell you not to grab onto air and things that are meaningless. Isn't life more than food, your body more than clothing? Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Remember, we talked last week about how you can't live in the future, you can't live in the past, you can only live today. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't dwell on the glory days. 
live today in what you have now with God. Don't go seeking after the things that are empty and they're temporary and they're fleeting like a morning fog. Seek after the kingdom of God first. Do that. Make that your priority. Fear God above all else and obey his commands, as Solomon said. Seek first the kingdom of God, as Jesus said. Because when we do that, all the other things start to fall into place. The things that matter most put it all together in the right way. When we're pursuing the kingdom of God, then the rest. The rest is just details. But when we focus on the details and miss the heart, it is dead, it is useless, meaningless, empty, air, morning fog. So Jesus says, don't focus on the things that are every day. Instead, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I think we're going to spend more time in the Sermon on the Mount in the new year. But as Jesus comes to the end of that long body of teaching, he ends it in this way. These are the last words of his. This is the end of his message. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. What's Jesus saying? It doesn't matter if you don't put it into action. All the teaching that I've given you is not going to help your life one little bit unless you do something about it. Wisdom, wisdom comes from acting on it. Listening to what I've said and doing something about it. Because otherwise, you've got to ask yourself, what is my life built on? What kind of foundation have I got for myself? Now, I don't know about you, have you ever seen a, a, an old building maybe that it wasn't actually built on like a concrete slab. You ever seen one of those buildings? Maybe in a field somewhere or a farmer's farm. And it's kind of all lopsided and uneven, maybe falling down. Well, when you don't have the right foundation, every frost heave is going to bring cracks and brokenness, isn't it? Every time the seasons change, every time the weather shifts, it, things go awry. If you've ever been to my house, you might have seen that in the backyard I have what I call the tiny house. It's about 12 by 12. It's basically like a shed, but not quite set up like a shed. Just 12 by 12, little building in the backyard. And it looks like a little cabin. I keep all my theological books in there. I have a desk in there. I have a bed. I keep all the things that I need to sort of focus and do what I need to do. A little bit of a retreat space, a little bit of a reflective space. It's a fun little spot. When it was built, though, it was just built on these little concrete things that didn't go into the ground or anything. And one day, a storm came and it tipped over. Not all the way, but it came off its foundation. The foundation wasn't strong. It wasn't done right. It hadn't, it hadn't been up all that long, so I called the builder back and I just said, look, look what happened. Can you do something about it? 
And to his credit, he said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I realized what I did wrong now. And he says, it's, it's heavier than I thought it was. And he built it up. He, he had about 20 different guys come and they all showed up and they lifted it back up and they put it back on the right foundation. He didn't charge me a cent. I was pretty glad about that. <laughs> but you know, it wasn't built on the right foundation. Didn't mean that my life, doesn't mean that the building was worthless. It's just that it wasn't going to stand. And in our lives, if we don't build our lives on the teaching of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus, it's going to tip over at some point. It might look really good. It might be shiny and new. It might feel wonderful to be in. But it'll tip over at some point. It might be the very end of things for you. When you realize in the end, it just isn't going to stand. If you build your life on the wrong thing, it will tip. It will fall down. It will break. It won't hold up. And so Jesus says, are you going to put in action the things I tell you? Are you going to take this seriously? Because if you don't, you can do that. You can build a nice house on the beach. But there's going to come a day where you realize you made a big mistake. And Jesus is asking us, what have you built your life upon? What are you pursuing day after day? Is it meaningless? Is it empty? Is it air? Is it like a morning fog? Or will it stand the test of time? Will it last through eternity? Here's the good news. Because it can feel like, oh man, I messed up. I haven't been doing it. I've been doing my own thing and I built my life on all kinds of things that aren't right. Well, you know what? Jesus doesn't need 20 friends to come put it back together again. When you make that call and you say, Jesus, my life has fallen apart. It's coming down. It's off its foundation. Jesus can put you up on a solid rock. And he can give you a new start. Sometimes the building's got to come down before it goes back up. But sometimes it can be picked back up and put on a better footing. What we need to do is evaluate, what's our foundation? Am I standing on the teaching of Jesus or am I standing on my own understanding of the world? Am I pursuing the things of this world that really aren't lasting or am I pursuing the eternal kingdom of God? And when we look at that, if we realize our foundation is the wrong one, all we've got to do is ask. He'll come and he'll begin to show us the way. And if you've got solid ground, if you've got a foundation beneath your feet, what are you doing to make sure others hear the painful, true message? that leads to life? Are you willing to stand like the teacher and give people the bad news so that they can hear the good news? Are you willing to pour out your own sense of pain and frustration in the world so that people can see where life is really found? Are you willing to let your foundation be a place where you invite others in to experience the hope and security of Jesus. What's your foundation?
What have you built your life upon? Is it air? Is it vapor? Is it meaningless? Or is it a rock that will stand through eternity? Is it Jesus? If it's not Jesus, choose him today. Call on him now. Don't waste another day. Don't waste another moment. It's not too late. It's not too late to have the right foundation for your life. He wants to do that for you. No charge. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the hard truths that we've heard in Ecclesiastes. The painful way that we have to consider the world around us to make sure that we're not chasing after things that are really empty like wind but that we pursue and seek after your kingdom before anything else in the world. Because that's all that really matters in the end. Help us to find our security, not in things that will break down over time, not in things that can be taken away from us, but to find our security in the eternal rock of you. So Jesus, if we've got the wrong foundation beneath our feet, help us to have the courage to look that in the face, to look it in the eye, and to recognize it is what it is. And to have the humility to call on you. To trust you to lift us up, to raise us up to new life and a sure foundation. Jesus, teach us more and more. Help us to put it into practice. Even if we don't yet know the whole deal, help us just to begin to follow you so that we start finding the path to life and begin to see your light more and more. Help us not to be burdened by the brokenness of this world, but to find wholeness in your salvation. Help us to trust in you for life rather than leaning into the bitterness and darkness of this world. Jesus, in you alone is there freedom and joy. And there's so many other things we can cling to, so many other things we chase after. But when we follow you, we have hope and life forevermore. So Jesus, help us to see that clearly, as painful as it might be, and to reach out our hands for you and you alone above all else. Help us to follow today. In your name we pray. Amen.